Welcome to Royally Screwed, my name is Chris Shearer, and it's my honor to take you on a tour through some of history's greatest, worst, and craziest rulers. On this week's episode, it's back to the Julio-Claudian saga. This time, we are finally ending the story of Emperor Gaius Germanicus, aka Caligula. He's had his fair share in the spotlight, but it's time to finally learn how his chaotic reign came to an end, and how Rome will pick up the pieces in his wake. We'll also then be spending time learning about the next Emperor of Rome. Who was he? Why on earth was he chosen? If you listened to the previous Julio-Claudian episode, or just know history, then you already know who the next Emperor is, but I'll keep it a secret just in case in order to keep up the suspense for anyone not in the know. When we last left things off, Gaius Germanicus was in a downward spiral, or at least a spiral in some direction. He was in a possibly delusional headspace where he was calling himself a god and making the lives of everyone around him miserable. On top of that, he had just recently sent his family into exile after believing that they were part of a conspiracy to see him deposed. The only people he could put his trust in were his wife and daughter, and even then Gaius was said to be incredibly abusive to his wife Melonia. It should surprise no one that things were looking a bit stabby in the Empire. A storm was about to break over the Imperial House in Rome. But when, where, and how does the lightning come to strike? Well, tune in to find out. So without further ado, let's continue the story. We're going back in time to Rome in January of 41 CE in Of Gods and Fools. Okay, so before January of 41 CE, we need one final detail over Gaius's reign. In the previous year, the Emperor had made an announcement that he was thinking of moving from Rome to Alexandria, Egypt. There, the Emperor could be worshipped as the living god he believed that he was. In doing so, the city of Rome would essentially lose any sense of power it had in the Roman Empire. This sent a much-needed shock of anachronistic electricity through both the Roman Senate and the Praetorian Guard, the Emperor's personal soldiers. They realized that something needed to be done, and sooner rather than later, unless both groups soon found themselves greatly reduced in power. The one man who decided to lead the cause was Cassius Chiria, a member of the Praetorian Guard. Cassius had served in the military under Gaius's father, Germanicus, the great hero of the Roman army who many had believed slash hoped would one day become emperor before he died young. Cassius had probably known the Emperor since he was just a baby, possibly was even one of the first people to refer to him as Caligula, meaning little boots after the Emperor's costume that he was given as a young child spending his days in the military's camps. He had also seen that young child grow up to become a cruel and sadistic Emperor. Allegedly, Gaius Germanicus would mock Cassius about perceived notions of the soldier's effeminacy. He would mock him by calling him names of goddesses or other fertility deities, including the Greek god Priapus, which... Well, you can look him up on your own time, but that was a weird choice unless there was something strange going on. On the 24th of January, 41 CE, Cassius and his co-conspirators finally put their plan into action. 
The Emperor was busy hosting the Palatine Games, a series of athletic and artistic competitions. These games were being held to honor the Emperor-slash-God Augustus. Gaius Germanicus was in his palace apparently talking with an acting troupe about something to do with the celebrations. Out of nowhere, the Praetorian conspirators fell upon the Emperor, stabbing him over and over until he was dead. The assassination of Gaius Germanicus was planned almost in a way to echo the assassination of Julius Caesar. Both deaths were led in part by a man named Cassius, Chiria here and Cassius Longinus for Caesar. The number of stabbings for both men was said to be about 30. Obviously, that's more than enough to kill someone. The Emperor's personal bodyguards, a separate group from the Praetorian Guard, arrived on the scene far too late to save the life of their leader but that didn't mean they weren't able to kill several of the conspirators. Apparently, several innocent bystanders, including some senators, were also killed by Gaius' bodyguards. However, those that managed to escape decided they would continue on and truly bring an end to Gaius Germanicus's reign. They found his wife and daughter and killed both of them as well. In the aftermath of the killings, the conspirators, those that had made it away, met to discuss the future of Rome. Cassius was actually all in favor of dismantling the imperial system and reinstating the Roman Republic. He had managed to get several senators on his side who were also in favor of this change in Roman politics. However, the true power to decide what would happen going forward did not lay within the hands of the Senate, at least not in this situation. It was with the Praetorian Guard. Gaius had not chosen an heir after he called for the death of his previous choice. And unfortunately for Cassius, Imperial loyalists within the Praetorians outnumbered those looking to restore the Republic. It just happened that some of those Imperial loyalists had managed to find a new choice for Emperor, a man no one would have ever expected. Gaius's uncle Claudius. Tiberius Claudius Nero, often called by his family name Claudius to separate himself from the several other Tiberius Claudius Neros in his family, was born in August of 10 BCE. He was a nephew of Emperor Tiberius and grandson of Augustus' wife Livia, as well as the grandson of Mark Antony on his mother's side. This also meant that he was the younger brother of Germanicus. However, unlike the great hero that was Germanicus, Claudius was often seen as the black sheep of the Julio-Claudian bloodline. When he was only a year old, his father, another famous soldier named Drusus, died after falling off his horse. It was a very big deal, listen to episode 35 to hear that story. His mother never married again and chose to raise all her children as a single mother. Well, soon afterwards, it was clear that Claudius had developed some form of disability. It's uncertain what Claudius actually had. Scholars have thrown out many possibilities, with the most common options being Tourette's Syndrome or Cerebral Palsy. Most ancient historians also say he walked with a limp and had some form of speech impediment. Unfortunately for young Claudius, this meant that absolutely no one wanted anything to do with him. It was basically decided then and there that he would never be considered for heir to the throne. Granted, this was back when Augustus was still trying to figure things out and thought he had a plan in place. 
And weirdly, despite all the cruel treatment he would come to receive from his extended family, Claudius was lucky to have been born into the imperial bloodline. If he had been anyone else's child, he probably would have been killed or thrown out into the woods to fend for himself. Killing him would have put a bad mark on the record of the Julio-Claudians. When he was still younger, he was sent to live with his grandmother, Empress Livia. The Empress was little better than his own mother, who had apparently called Claudius a monster. Not long after moving in with Livia, the Empress sent him to be instructed by a mule farmer, hoping that Claudius's condition was just him being lazy. Well, it obviously wasn't. It wouldn't be until Claudius was a teenager that his family finally started to recognize that he was actually a fairly intelligent young man. He was put under the tutelage of Livy, one of the greatest Roman historians of that age. Livy had written all about Roman history from its mythological founding all the way up to the modern age, around 9 CE at this point. Livy and Claudius's other teachers during this time greatly encouraged the young man to take up writing historical works. Even Emperor Augustus started to notice that Claudius had a gift for writing and speech, even with his speech impediment. Unfortunately, Augustus's opinions on Claudius soured when the latter wrote a book about the Roman civil war between the emperor and his former ally, Claudius's grandfather, Mark Antony. Apparently, the work did not portray the emperor in the best light. The Julio-Claudians quickly descended on Claudius, pushing him further into the background of society. Even though it was assumed that Claudius was never going to become anything great, despite an alleged prophecy when he was a baby about him becoming emperor, this slight against Augustus was the final straw. Claudius would never join the Roman government. When Augustus made his stepson Tiberius adopt Claudius's brother Germanicus in 4 CE, this meant that Claudius was now the pater familias, the oldest male relative in a Roman gens, gens meaning clan, and essentially head of the family. Unfortunately, this didn't change much as both private and public opinions toward Claudius were still as low as ever. In 9 CE, besides being allowed to start a proper education, Claudius was allowed to marry a woman named Plautia Urgulanilla. Claudius was especially interested in Urgulanilla because she was said to have Etruscan blood. The Etruscans were a civilization that flourished in central Italy before the rise of Rome. They had been the previous major civilization of the peninsula before Rome conquered them over the course of several centuries. Claudius was particularly interested in the Etruscans given his interest in history. In 14 CE, Augustus passed away, meaning Tiberius was now emperor and Claudius's brother was that much closer to being an heir to the throne. Hoping that a new person in charge might grant him a better position in life, Claudius asked the new emperor if he could finally be allowed to start the Corsus Honorum the traditional path of government positions a man of Claudius's birth would normally take. Unfortunately, Tiberius was the same as the rest of his family and refused to grant Claudius his desires. It would seem as if there really was no chance for Claudius to ever end up in the government. So he decided to back out of the public spotlight and further dedicated himself to historical research and writing. 
Ironically enough, stepping away from his family would keep Claudius safe for what happened next. In 19 CE, Claudius' older brother Germanicus died under mysterious circumstances. His sister-in-law Agrippina believed that Tiberius had something to do with Germanicus' death and started up an inter-imperial family civil war. Over the next several years, Tiberius managed to pick off the remaining members of his extended family until only two living male relatives remained, Claudius and his nephew, Gaius Germanicus. Gaius had been too young to kill and Claudius was… Claudius. Now it should be said that the rest of Rome did not actually treat Claudius the same way as the other Julio-Claudians. Even if it was only because he was a member of the imperial family, Claudius was treated with a fair bit of respect. When his house burned down sometime during Tiberius's reign, the senate pushed to use public funds to have it rebuilt. When Tiberius's son Drusus died, some citizens of Rome suggested that Claudius should be named as heir. During this latter part, Claudius pushed himself even further back into hiding considering this was during the tyranny of Praetorian Prefect Sejanus and the allegedly darkest part of Tiberius's reign while on the island of Capri. But everything changed when Gaius Germanicus was crowned emperor. Claudius's life was about to become the most turbulent rollercoaster ride during the next four years of Gaius's imperial tenure. Like many people, Claudius was constantly belittled and made fun of by the emperor. However, in the first year of his reign, Gaius made Claudius his co-consul for 37 CE. After years of wanting a foot in the door of politics but being shut out, Claudius was finally able to get his chance to shine. This was especially remarkable considering a person usually had to go through many other political positions before even being able to think about running for a consular seat. It's believed that Gaius made his uncle co-consul in order to remind the people of Rome of Germanicus now that both the late general's brother and son were together in the public eye. And there's quite a few other theories that have been tossed around for years for why Claudius was made consul. First and most obvious to anyone who knows of Gaius Germanicus, they'd say he put a clearly neurodivergent person on the chair because he wasn't in his right mind. Others have said that he actually viewed Claudius as a potential threat and wanted to keep him close. As for me, I like to think that Gaius was much more clever than most people would normally suggest. He viewed the Senate and Roman politics as a whole for the most part as a joke like suggesting he could make his horse a consul as a cutting jab at the senate, I think he did the next closest thing and put someone he viewed as unfit for the role of consul in the role just to make a mockery of the government. But that's just me. But like I said, life was mostly miserable for Claudius during his entry into politics. He had inherited very little from the estates of his deceased relatives, despite being one of the few left alive even when Augustus passed. Gaius Germanicus would force Claudius to spend insane amounts of money on parties and other impractical desires, forcing his uncle to constantly take out loans as he accrued more and more debt. And even outside of the emperor, Claudius's life still wasn't great. Back before Gaius took the throne, he had divorced his wife because she had cheated on him and was also accused of assisting her brother in murdering his wife. 
They had a son born sometime around 10 CE named Claudius Drusus. Unfortunately, he passed away sometime before he turned 18. Claudius's second marriage was to a woman named Aelia Patina, whom he married in 28 CE. Together, the pair had a daughter, Claudia Antonia. But a year after the birth of their daughter, in 31 CE, Claudius and Aelia also got divorced. Historical records don't actually give a solid reason as to why the pair separated. Historian Suetonius suggests Claudius divorced his wife due to what he refers to as mental cruelty. So yeah, he was also being bullied and abused by his wife. Claudius's third wife was a woman named Valeria Messalina. She was the emperor's first cousin once removed. She was the grandniece of Emperor Augustus, a future first cousin of Emperor Nero, and known to be somewhat involved within Emperor Gaius's social circles. It's entirely possible that Gaius Germanicus set up the marriage, especially considering Claudius was about 30 years older than his third wife. They were married in 38 CE. In late 39 or early 40 CE, the pair had a daughter, Claudia Octavia. The pair would also have a son in February of 41 CE. But something very important would happen in between the birth of Claudius's two children with Messalina. Something that would obviously change his life forever. Stab, 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 Emperor Gaius Germanicus is dead. Claudius, fearing for his life upon hearing that the Praetorian guards are killing the Imperial family, decides to do his best and hides behind a set of curtains within the palace. Great hiding spot, my dude. Well, unsurprisingly, he's soon found by a member of the Praetorian Guard, with some historians listing this man's name as Gratus. Claudius obviously thought that he was about to be killed too, but that all changed when Gratus kneeled before him and hailed Claudius as the new emperor of Rome. As almost anyone in this situation would possibly do, Claudius was hesitant about believing Gratus. However, he still wasn't dead yet, so there was that. When word reached the Senate of Gaius' assassination, they quickly began discussing slash arguing over who should be the next leader of Rome. Like the Praetorian Guard involved in the conspiracy, some of the senators were all in favor of turning Rome back into a republic. Unfortunately, the imperial side once more vastly outnumbered the pro-republic faction. The pro-imperial government was also split, however, over who should be the next princeps of Rome. They believed that one from among their own rank should be the new leader. Again, that all changed when the Praetorian Guard, who had now rallied behind Gratus's decision with Claudius, marched into the Senate and proclaimed they had found their new emperor and the previous one's uncle. The Senate then Claudius to come before them. Again, Claudius, kinda recognizing the bizarre situation that he was in, wasn't entirely sure this was the best idea. According to some Roman historians, he contacted his friend and political ally Herod Agrippa. This Herod was the grandson of the biblical King Herod and had been a friend to Claudius since he was fairly young. When Claudius sent word to his friend that the Praetorian Guard had proclaimed him emperor, Herod warned his friend to remain cautious. Now, there's a theory here that Herod was actually behind the ascension of Claudius. 
His family had seen a reduction in their power after the death of Herod the Great, now that Judea was fully under the control of Rome. Gaius's reign had especially seen Judea fall under weird times when he attempted to have a statue of himself built in the Second Temple in Jerusalem. Obviously, it would suit Herod very well to have someone more sympathetic to both Judea and the Herodian family as Emperor of Rome. It's believed, then, that Herod Agrippa heard about all the hullabaloo at the palace following Gaius Germanicus' death. By the way, Herod was in Rome during all this. He personally gathered a group of Praetorian Guard and requested that they make sure Claudius was kept safe. Claudius, not quite emperor yet, followed Herod's advice and waited out, refusing to step before the Senate. Eventually, the Senate grew tired of waiting and decided that Claudius was a better choice than no one. Now, it should also be said that basically everyone in Rome, at least the Senate and the Praetorian Guard, were okay with Claudius on the throne because, like the Julio-Claudian family, they believed he was fairly inept and would be easy to manipulate once he took the throne as emperor. But hey, being just okay with a guy as emperor was more than enough back then after both Tiberius and Gaius wreaked havoc in Rome for almost three decades. So, with a slight air of uncertainty but willing to go along with it for now, Claudius was officially named the new leader of the Roman Empire. Of his rule, Claudius had to make sure his reign was viewed as legitimate. After all, the past two emperors had been adopted by the man ruling before them and had been named as heir before the previous emperor's death. Claudius was a right place, right time fill-in for the role. First off, he wanted to reward the Praetorian Guard and also bribe them to stay on his side. After all, they had fully decided the last transition of power. The Praetorian Guard had always received a bonus as part of the will of the previous emperors, but Claudius started up a trend of greatly overpaying the Praetorian Guard right away in order to make sure a new emperor wasn't also dethroned immediately. He also took great care to pick out a proper name as emperor. Like the previous rulers of Rome, he tacked on the name Caesar. He also decided to do away with the cognomen Nero and took on Augustus, just as Tiberius and Gaius had done. He also kept his other cognomen Germanicus, which he had received after the death of his father in order to show a connection to both his late father and brother. To also show a connection to his war hero father, he would often tack on a final Filius Drusi, son of Drusus. Therefore, he was Tiberius Claudius Caesar Augustus Germanicus Filius Drusi. Claudius also wanted to establish himself as a good member of the Julio-Claudian family, even though they had been nothing but rotten to him since the beginning. He finally deified his grandmother Livia, something Tiberius had outright refused to do and what Gaius had said he would get to but never did. Also, he recalled his nieces, Lavilla and Agrippina, from the exile forced on them from Gaius. And finally, to show that he was the man for the job, Claudius ordered for the conspirators behind Gaius's assassination to be put to death. While this was generally viewed as a net positive for Rome, it was a bit strange. After all, many people were happy that the old emperor was dead. 
However, you couldn't just give free reign to any assassination attempts. And so Claudius was ready to begin his time as Emperor of Rome. It would be a different beginning than that of Augustus, Tiberius, or even Gaius. After all, they had been chosen to be princeps, the first citizen of Rome. While this was technically true for Claudius, Gaius Germanicus had changed the game for Roman leaders. While emperors could never truly be worshipped as living gods, Gaius had gotten things incredibly close. The line between first citizen and king was blurring, and Claudius was the first ruler to take over this brand new scale of power. But for now, that's it for this week's episode of Royally Screwed. I hope you enjoyed the journey. Be sure to subscribe to the show, tell a friend, and follow the Denim Creek page on Twitter and Instagram for more info about each episode. Next time, it's another installment of Were They Great? We're once again looking at a ruler of Russia, one not living too long after the reign of our first Were They Great spotlight, Peter I. It's another heavy hitter of the Enlightenment era as we take a closer look at the reign of Catherine the Great. I hope you'll join me then for another topsy-turvy look into history's most interesting rulers. Whoa, 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 whoa.